the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney. And I'm also a bankruptcy law specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm both a master of the laws of taxation law and a master of the laws of intellectual property law. And because of my education, my training, my experiences and my life's observation, as well as my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields, all having to do with uh, finance at its intersection with the law, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also in the military, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizen soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines. And of course, the Coast Guard, who I leave out just to make fun of my cousin Gerald (laughs) and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital based economic system, especially after they separate from the service. I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military, including the Coast Guard. (laughs) Now, I was also raised by a dad who taught me from the first time I met him after he came back from the war. Uh, that I owed a duty to my community and to our society as a whole to give back to our community and our society as a whole. And on top of that, I had the great fortune of getting to know and spend a lot of time with and actually became great friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century, that is to say the Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today. 
And as these women helped raise me and always loved me and shared with me the great stories of their grandparents who all loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who were always with me in spirit along with my dad, always urging me on to do the right thing. And when the situation is right, I'm sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and disabled who find themselves the targets of, and more and more unfortunately, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and more and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, or at least an insufficient amount thereof, and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being being, as I understand these concepts, in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find a qualified professional help I believe you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances or your assets, but especially your debt. So because inquiring minds need to know, and I've heard from some inquiring minds out there in radio land, thank you very much. Today, I will continue the discussion I started last fall and recommenced last week about our Native American cousins and how and why we must support them in their ongoing fight for their sovereign, political, judicial, economic, and environmental rights. Here in America, right here in America, where Indian country is really all around us. So I must say again, I think it's about time we give our first American cousins or not, their long overdue respect and assistance. So last week, I shared with you my thoughts on two key decisions that were issued by the United States Supreme Court uh, last week on June 15th. One case denominated as Halland, Secretary of the Interior at Al versus Brack Teen at Al, uh, in which case the Supreme Court upheld the Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978, and that is a federal statute that aims at keeping Indian children connected to their Indian families. And I applaud that decision. In sum, the Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978 governed state court adoptions and foster care proceeding involving Indian children. Among other things, the act requires a replacement or the placement of an Indian child according to the act's hierarchical preferences uh, unless the state court finds good uh, cause to depart from them, such as um, the child's welfare overall. Under those preferences, 
Indian families and institutions from any tribe, not just the tribe from which the child has a tie, outrank unrelated non-Indian, non-Indian institutions. Further, um, the child's tribe may pass a resolution altering the prioritization order. Uh, preferences of the Indian child and her parent generally cannot trump those set by the statute or by the tribe's resolution. Um, in involuntary proceedings, uh, the act mandates that the Indian child's parents or custodians custodians and tribe be given notice of the custody proceedings as well as the right to intervene. Uh, and the act also requires a party seeking to terminate parental rights or to remove an Indian child from an unsafe environment has to satisfy the court that the active, their active efforts have been made to provide some remedial services and rehabilitative programs designed to prevent breakup of the Indian family, and a court cannot order relief unless the party demonstrates, the party who in the involuntary proceeding who wants to remove the child, that party has to demonstrate by a heightened uh, burden of proof and export testimony that unless the child is removed, the child will suffer emotional and or physical damage if the parent or Indian custodian retains the custody. Now, even for voluntary proceeding, a, volu a biological parent who gives up an Indian child cannot necessarily choose the child's foster or adoptive parent. It has to be something decided by statute or by the tribe. And the tribe has the right to intervene at any point in, in the proceeding to place a child in foster care or terminate parental rights, as well as the right to collaterally attack a state court's um, custody agree. Again, collateral means you do it after the fact. And the tribe thus can sometimes enforce the, the Indian Child Welfare Act placement preference against the wishes of both the biological parent even if the child is living with a new family. And finally, there's a record keeping requirements that must uh, be followed uh, in order to uh, fully comply with the law. So when we come back, I want to talk about the other case, that is the La, La Deux Flambeurs tribe of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians at Al versus Coughlin. Uh, that must have found that Native American tribes are units of the federal government, and as such, uh, sovereign immunity must be abrogated, abrogated, that is to say, set aside, when uh, that uh, tribe is acting as a creditor in a bankruptcy proceeding. A conclusion I question. And I'm going to go into detail why I say that um, my reading of the Supreme Court's case must have found that American tribes are units of the federal government because of the long history of mistreatment by tribes by our government, both on the state and federal level, leads me to believe that they never, these tribes, never actually had the quantum of sovereignty, independence, that would or could be abrogated. So that's my argument, and I'm sticking to it. And I'll share with you the context when we come back on the other side. Before we're going to take a short break. 
back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As I continue to share with you all some exciting news that took place over the last week that relate to a vital segment of our American community that too few of us take time to learn about. And even when we know about this segment, we don't do much of anything with that knowledge, and we should. And I'm talking about our Native American brothers and sisters in their ongoing fight for their sovereign, political, judicial, and economic rights right here in America, where Indian country is really all around us. And I think it's just about time that we give our our brothers and sisters, our Native American brothers and sisters, who are, after all, the first Americans, the long overdue respect that they are due. So before the break, I... I stated that there were a couple of tribal matters, decisions that were issued by the Supreme Court last week. In one case, uh, it was the matter about the Indian Child Welfare Act, and I um, wholeheartedly applaud that decision. But the other case is denominated as La Deux Flambeur, Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians at Al versus Conklin that found that American Native American tribes uh, that the bankruptcy code unambiguously abrogates the sovereign immunity of all governments, including the federally recognized Indian tribes. And as such, their sovereign immunity must be abrogated, that is to say, set aside when they are acting as a creditor in a bankruptcy proceeding. A conclusion I question because historically, America has, uh, as represented by both state and federal governments, have treated Indian tribes as if they were wards and not really full-fledged sovereigns. And this treatment depended on which governmental agency was dealing with the Native American tribe and what was the goal of that governmental agency. So sometimes in writing, they were treated as sovereigns. But as you know, um, their land was confiscated and something that we call manifest destiny here in America, which um, is going on in in Europe that went on in Europe that caused the formation and the need to be involved in World Wars One and Two in a certain country that uh, was emulating the United States um, Manifest Destiny program in something that uh, turned out to be quite negative. But even if you don't want to talk about what happened during uh, the lead up to World War II, because some people are highly sensitized about using a term that I will not get into, I'd say the same thing is happening before our very eyes today with, for example, um, Russia's annexation of part of Ukraine uh, known as Crimea. And I would posit this, if, if Crimea, through its masters in Russia, wanted to be recognized by the United States as a government, I submit to you that we would not recognize it as an independent sovereign because 
they are being manipulated by a force that makes them not be totally independent. And I'm just putting that out there for you to think about in today's context. That is similar to what had happened to our Native American brothers and sisters during our period known as the Manifest uh, Destiny when we, uh, as a country, um, took over land that was owned and controlled by uh, the sovereign nations, the sovereign independent uh, Native American nations. And um, I don't think that if we undertook such proceedings today, um, we would consider Um, the Native American tribes to be full sovereigns. And so that's what I'm I'm, I'm bringing up in these presentations. It's not that I don't think uh, a government unit, uh, sovereign immunity can either be consensually uh, waived or if need be by the government, um, if Congress abrogates it. But I keep going back to my point It must be, from the get-go, an independent sovereign to have its sovereign immunity abrogated. So, uh, I I say the only way, that's why, you know, a a couple of people question me by um, wanting to know, what did I mean when I said that Native American tribes are units of the federal government? I meant that in two ways, because... There is a section <laughs> of our big book of laws that, you know, I uh, analogize sometimes to Moses going up, you know, and getting uh, the Ten Commandments from uh, our Lord and Savior uh, uh, and our Lord and Savior's father, principal, uh, back in the day. And of course, I'm not saying that our big book of American laws, the U.S. Code, are um mandated by uh, a higher authority that's unworldly. But what I'm trying to get you to say that we get you to understand is that we do have the United States Code that breaks down uh, just about every segment of American life, and uh, including commerce. And for example, the Bankruptcy Code, which is at Title 11. So I consider them to be volumes of the Big Book Law. And there is a volume that deals with Indian tribes. And uh, it basically says that recognizing the special relationship between the United States and Indian tribes and their members and the federal responsibility to Indian people, Congress finds that Clause 3, Section 8, Article 1 of the United States Constitution provides that Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce with Indian tribes, and through this and other constitutional authority, Congress has plenary power over Indian affairs. That's the state of the law in big book number 25. So I'm saying that this this idea of sovereignty, which has to be there first before it can be abrogated, might be a misnomer and it might be a way to basically be less than forthright and frank with what uh, it is that the Supreme Court has ruled about abrogating 
the sovereign immunity of tribal communities when uh, a debtor, uh, someone that they have lent money to, goes into the bankruptcy court to seek protection. So again, what I'm saying is that although we might say tribal communities are independent sovereigns, I think more than likely it is a master ward or guardian ward relationship, which was, you know, how we treated Native Americans for hundreds of years and not the peer to peer equal sovereign relationship. And as such, are Indian tribes really independent sovereigns or have they really had to become subunits of the feds by force or are they some other legal entity whose sovereignty, if any, has not really been absolutely abrogated by Congress because the so-called sovereignty of the American Native tribes was and remains illusory. That means it's an illusion of it, but it lacks the substance to actually be one. So I've done some research on this topic. And the Supreme Court over time has created the legal framework and policy for Indian sovereignty by sometimes recognizing that the sovereignty exists, but also limiting it to that of a domestic dependent nation of the federal government and sometimes of the state's government. Indian tribes were given legal recognition as separate and distinct groups with some degree of self-governance, but they remain subject to the whims of the federal government and sometimes state government. So like my, my quandary and the issue that I'm presenting to you remains the same. While on paper and while in the, law, um, the Supreme Court decision, Indian tribes are sovereigns, uh, but do they really have that quantum of sovereignty, serenity that's needed, uh, such as the quantum um, of the likes of foreign governments, such as Canada or the United Kingdom or Mexico, or states who came into the Union, um, states such as California or Missouri or Massachusetts, or is the whole exercise a rationalization to strip more power from tribes when they are creditors in a, uh, uh, of a party who filed for bankruptcy? So I just wanted to um, to make it clear. Um, I I think we all need to think about this um, because who knows? <laughs> well. I'm going to leave that, you know, with you. And, um, you know, we're going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing here on Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law. And, you know, this uh, follow-on presentation serves two purposes to make sure that you understand where I'm coming from and that I'm not misstating the law. But also that we need to do all that we can uh, to put in place laws that protect our varied interests in our society as a whole, including the interests of our tribal cousins, because we all got to share this country going forward. And uh, that's really what I'm all about. So 
I'm going to uh, say bye for now. And I hope you had a wonderful Juneteenth uh, weekend. And, and all of you fathers out there, I hope you had a wonderful Father's Day weekend. So till next time we get together, please take care. Bye for now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.